That's right. The whiteboard is back. Not going to use it. It just makes me feel smarter. That being said, it's Father's Day. I know Mother's Day, I spoke specifically to mothers. And so it's Father's Day, and I figure your guys deal with it. I'm not going to talk about it that much. Um, But I do want to acknowledge you dads, and something stood out to me this morning as I was kind of looking through Facebook and I was seeing people post the pictures of their dad and I was recognizing I can't really do that because I never had a, a dad. And then I was noticing there are a lot of people who didn't have a dad. And actually it's becoming more and more a rare thing for the father to remain in the family and become a dad. How many of you grew up in a home without a father? Can I see your hands myself? I, I want to acknowledge to you that even though there might be an absence there, uh, that there is a Father in heaven who can step into that place in our lives. And for all of you dads, would you stand up? I want to give you a roaring ovation. Thank you, men, for being involved in with your families. I know when I became a father, one of the things that reverberated in my mind was I was not going to... Did I say something funny? Now I'm self-conscious. I'm saying things that I don't know what they mean. That's happened before. Um, I remember thinking, I want to make sure I'm going to be there for my children. I don't want my children to grow up without a father, although there's times they wish they did. Uh, I wanted to be a part of their life uh, throughout their life. And and it's been a a great experience, adventure that's still continuing, but it's something that I feel is so needed today. And so happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. And and I am going to touch a little bit on, you guys are a clapping group, um, a little bit on fathers, because I'm going to try and tie Highlander in there. I'm going to try and make this a manly thing here today. Um, we started last week talking about perspectives and how perspectives play such an important part of what we do. And actually, perspectives is the capacity to view things in their true relation or relative importance. And last week, we talked about how What we believe about God is so important, or if we believe in God, how it influences our life, the way we act, the things that we do, and how we conduct ourselves. And I want to continue in that vein and talk about worship, because I think worship is something that when you get into this area of religion, how you worship becomes a big deal. And so we want to look at worship and what it looks like for us who believe in God What does worship look like? And what we're going to do is start in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1, read through verse 4, and then we're going to continue on in the passage. It says, Now faith, which is this belief in God, is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. And so the author of Hebrews starts this dialogue on faith. And if you're familiar with chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's known as the Hall of Faith as it talks about all these men of incredible faith. And when you start thinking about men of faith in the scriptures, I don't know about you, but Abel is not one that would come to mind. How many, think of all the miracles that Abel did. That's right, there weren't any. We, we don't have any knowledge of any miraculous things. He's not like Daniel who went into the lion's den and the mouths of the lions were... Shut. He's not like Moses who put his staff there in the Red Sea and it parted and led the nation through the wilderness. Or Elijah who prayed and for three and a half years it didn't rain and then he prayed again and it did. Or even more spectacular when he called down fire from heaven. You know, it was just, that's faith. You see something like that, I think, oh, that's the starting point. But the writer of Hebrews starts with Abel. And he just says this simple thing that Abel brought a better offering than Cain, and by faith he was commended as righteous. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 4 and see about Abel and look into this a little bit. Genesis chapter 4. Verse 2, it says, later Eve gave birth, well, let's read at the beginning. Adam made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a son. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. I can remember when I first read this passage in scripture, just became a person of faith, never read the Bible. And so of course you got to start at the beginning because all books are that way. I didn't realize they were multiple books, but I started in Genesis and I came to chapter four and I read this and I thought, well, that's not fair. Why did God like his offering and not like his offering? Is the air conditioning on? (laughs) Colleen says no, or was it Robbie? No, it wasn't. Okay. It was, oh, <laughs> it was Kathy. Just wanted to find out who it was. It was this section here. They resounded and said no. Well, he pressed there. I heard it. Okay. Relief is on the way. And so 
why is it that God accepted one and not the other? And you think about it, you know, Cain, his offering really involved a lot more. Cain was a farmer. Abel was a shepherd. Farmers work hard. I don't know all that they do. I've just seen movies about farmers. And I know they get up early and have to like milk cows and stuff. And then they have to go and do stuff to the soil. And then, you know, and it's not like you just go over and it's done. You have to like till the soil, get rid of like all the boulders. And then you have to go leave the crevices in the dirt. Yeah, I'm good at this. And then you go and plant the seeds and then you have to stay there and water it. And then you have to fix the house, you know, because it needs repair always. And a farmer's work is never done. It's just they've got calloused hands. They have to watch the crops throughout the year. They have to pray for rain. They have to go into town and deal with the banker who's trying to foreclose on the farm. I mean, those are all the things that they contend with. <laughs> going through every movie I know right now in my mind. But it's a lot of work having to labor, and it's from sun up to sundown. And so Cain goes, and from the works of his hands, he produces this offering and presents it to God. And then there's Abel. And Abel is a shepherd. And they don't even really make movies about shepherds because it's just not that exciting. Okay, it's only biblical movies that talk about that because of Jesus. But otherwise, yeah, the great shepherd movie of 2013, you're just not going to see it because they kind of stand there and watch the sheep. And that's about it. And really, Abel's offering cost the sheep more than it did him. Right? He, he put the sacrifice and then brought that sacrifice to God. It's like, okay, I'm going to kill this lamb. I'm going to have this barbecue. And hey, this is for God. And I've always thought... Why is it so hard to please God? Why does it seem like it's so difficult to do things that God would accept? And I think that's what happens to us in this area of worship. When we have Cain, and it's a matter of, I want to... Give something so that God will accept my sacrifice. And it's what I've done. And so what Cain is doing is, this is my work. Accept it. And so what Cain is doing is taking his efforts, his labor, and saying, God, this is what I've done, accept it. And what Abel is doing is really quite a bit different. What Abel is doing is saying, God, I have nothing that I can bring to you. It's actually because of what you've done that I'm accepted. And so Cable's stance is, I'm accepted. And there's this kind of understanding that my offering is already what you have wanted. It's in recognition to what you have done. And I'm accepted. And so Abel has this 
position, this stance that I can't offer you anything, but I'm accepted by your grace. And you see, really what Cain is doing is he's introducing religion where Abel is dependent on grace. Cain is bringing the work of his hand, saying, what I've done is enough, accept me. Abel is saying, I have nothing I can give, but I am accepted by your grace. And there's a huge difference between this. Because the idea of worship is giving worth to God. It is supposed to be about the one we worship. But what happens in religion, what happens here with Cain, is this is no longer about who God is and giving to God. This has now become what I do. And the focus of worship is taken off the object and is placed on the person. And this happens still today where religion becomes the things you do. If you do enough penance, if you give enough money, if you say enough rosaries, if you do enough work, then you will be wanting God to accept the things that you've done to receive you and your offering where grace is free of this work. And it just doesn't seem fair. Because we have a hard time with this unconditional love thing. We, we want reasons to love. I mean, think about it. If your wife ever asks you, why do you love me? You can't say, well, no good reason. I just love you unconditionally. That won't go over well. Trust me. She wants to hear, well, it's because your eyes sparkle like diamonds and your, your hair is like hair. <sighs> Just be a little bit more eloquent about it. You know, we want love to be about things that we can get hold of. And this idea of unconditional love is difficult for us to wrap around because love just requires trust. And we have a hard time with trusting. Some of us have been burned and hurt because we have given our hearts out to someone and they have not received it or have betrayed it and has caused problems. Have you ever been in a relationship and you're trying to push that relationship to the next level? You know, you're going out and you say, I like you. And you're waiting. Oh, I like you too. All right, yes. I, I really like you. Oh, I really like you too. Okay, two for two, go on. I like you so much, I really don't want to hang out with anyone else. <laughs> you know, you're, you're waiting for that. Don't leave me here. And the worst thing is, if you ever step out, and I've done this, or you've ever stepped out and you've told someone, I love you, and they say, oh, thank you. 
it's it's like the kiss of death. Or they say, oh, that's sweet. I like you. No, that, that's not what I was looking for. I, I've just poured out my heart. I've said I love you. And if you don't respond with I love you too, anything else is just leaving you there. And we have a hard time with this trust and this love. And what worship is doing is asking us to, to put our trust in God. That's what faith is. Faith is basically trust towards God. And trusting that God actually loves us. And so if God actually loves us, it's not about what I do that gets him to love me more. Gets him to say, okay, you're in. It's about his love that we are accepted. And so now the idea of worship isn't about what we do. It's about him. And what do we have that we can give to God that is going to impress him, that is going to be good enough, that is going to make him say, wow, you made this arrangement? Amazing. But you see, as a, as Cain starts this religion, what he's really doing is trying to buy God's love. He's trying to move and sway God by what he does, and now it's becoming manipulative. It's an attempt to appease God, and there's nothing you can do that will ever be enough. Whereas what Abel is doing is saying, I can't earn your love, and worship is actually moving towards trust, is moving towards love, is moving towards intimacy. And it's interesting because the word worship actually means to lean in to kiss. I think that's beautiful. A beautiful picture because what is supposed to take place when we worship is that we are leaning in to kiss God. And how do you then make it about the offering that you've made. It, it would be like me going and, and buying my wife a necklace. Say, I bought this necklace. Can I kiss you now? No, there's supposed to be the intimacy there before you lean in for the kiss. The necklace doesn't earn the kiss. The love is what earns the intimacy. And so what we see worship is supposed to be is a push towards intimacy, not a push towards doing things. But that, that's a fine line because when you love someone, you do things. But there has to be the love before there is the action. It doesn't work the other way around. And what happens many times in religion is we try to sway God to accept us based on what we do. I remember one time I was working at a church in the office and a young man came to the door and he said, I need to talk to a pastor. I said, well, okay, I'm here. What, what's going on? And he was telling me about these things that he wanted to get done. And it was a relationship with this girl that he wanted to have this girl like him and he wanted me to pray 
so that he could have this relationship with this girl. And I was like, I don't know that it works that way. You know, I, I think she has to say yes. I don't think God's going to twist her arm and say, you better go be with this guy. And I shared that with him in sensitive words. At least I think they were. But he afterwards, after I sat there and talked with him and I really just kind of prayed for him, he said, well, listen, I'm going to leave an offering. Okay, I'm going to put this offering, and he told me the amount, and he said the offering, and he goes, I just want you to know I'm writing this offering. As if this check was going to, you left an offering. It's done, buddy. All right, it's in the mail. God, get her. You know, I mean, and it was so twisted, the thinking, that's not how it works. That's not how the relationship is supposed to work. You see, we don't want God to receive us because of who he is. What we want is God to receive us because of who we are. I don't want you, God, just to love me because you love me. I want you to love me because I'm good. I want you to love me because I'm better than him. And what is amazing is in Genesis, we see that when God accepts Abel's offering but doesn't accept Cain's, that Cain is downcast. Is he downcast just because God didn't receive his? No, he's downcast because he did receive his brothers. In fact, it goes on in verse 6, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And so we know from this verse that Cain knew what was right. He knew that there was the proper way to sacrifice. There was the proper way to worship. If you do things right you will be accepted. And it always intrigues me that we see more dialogue taking place between God and Cain. We don't see any dialogue taking place between God and Abel. And so here is the person who is trying to make things on his own to start religion, this way to get to God, and God is pleading with him. It's not like God is writing him off. God is actually pleading with Cain, saying, listen, if you do what's right, it'll be accepted. But if you don't, be careful. Because sin is crouching at the door. It's waiting to devour you, but you need to master it. Otherwise, it's going to master you. And isn't that exactly what happens in this case of religion, where people become in bondage to the work, in bondage to the church, in bondage to the things that have to be done, and the focus, the leaning in to kiss God gets lost. The intimacy diminishes. It becomes all about the things that you have to do. And so God pleads with Cain. Verse 8, now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. That's where my work is done. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. 
Think about this. Why did he kill his brother? Because he was jealous. Because Abel was accepted and he wasn't. Because he wanted what Abel had and he was upset that what he did wasn't good enough. And it caused the jealousy, it caused the tension. And so, upset that Abel is now, in his mind, a better man than he is, he's going to eliminate him. He can't live with that understanding, with this kind of competitive jealousy, this pride, actually. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is supposed to be yes. And so as this happens, and as God speaks to Cain, we see that what's taking place here is Cain wants to be the master of his own life. He wants to establish the boundaries, how he's going to connect to God. And God is saying it doesn't work that way. I'm not going to allow my relationship to be turned into a religion. I'm not going to allow this to move into this direction. And so he does not accept the offering. And he says, your brother's blood is crying out for me. What, what have you done? And God is still even there merciful to Cain as he says, they're going to kill me. And God says, no, I'm going to put a mark on you. And we don't know what the mark is. But God still watches over Cain. And so we see that this is a difficult thing, that faith is this trust directed towards God, that religion is this trust on the things that we do, that God wants us to lean into him and depend on him. And that's what love is requiring us to do. You know, it's a matter of surrender. It's fun to kind of watch you guys sing because some of you do and some of you are too cool to sing. You just stand there. And it's not that you don't know how to sing. It's just it's a difficult thing for you to do. Michael talked last week about, you know, when Miles was having a hard day and so Michael thought, well, I'll sing to him because I don't know what else to do. And he started off with Johnny Cash, went to Bob Dylan, and then finally said, oh, yeah, I, I can sing about God, too. You know, I know you guys can sing. Most of you is probably in your car and you sing. But somehow coming here and singing to God can feel awkward. And the problem is if we don't sing collectively here together the odds are you're probably not going to sing when you're by yourself. If you can't, when we're in a group and have this kind of ethos where we are moving in this direction to, to give to God, even in our voices, the odds are you probably won't do that when you're by yourself. And so what's taking place is there's kind of this short changing of God because you really don't want to give. You really don't want to surrender. You, you might even feel like, well, he doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him 
these things. But you see, really it does. Back to Hebrews chapter 11. As we continue on, we see that the writer of Hebrew goes from Abel as being this person who honored God with his sacrifice to this man named Enoch. And so in chapter 11, verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was taken from his life, this life, so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Here's another example of faith. Enoch. How many miracles did Enoch do? That's right. None. All it says about Enoch is that he walked with God. And so let's turn to Genesis chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. And let's read about Enoch. Again, another short passage. Chapter 5, verse 21, it says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he had become the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. This is before the flood. People lived a lot longer then. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. That's just a weird passage, isn't it? It's like, so where'd he go? Is he like, you know, just gone? What does that mean? Some of you are like freaked out by that. You know, is God going to take me away? Where is he going to take me? I remember when Corrine and I got married. We had gotten our house. It was a little cottage, a little one-bedroom place in Alhambra. And she lived in Alhambra with her parents. And so we got the, the home and we got it decorated, got the furniture, I painted it, and got our little place. But she lived at her house still until we got married. And then after the wedding and after our honeymoon, we came back, and she didn't have to go home anymore. She lived at my house. And so it was kind of like Enoch, you know, at her house. It's like, Karina's is no more because she's gone. She's over here. And you see, the idea is that God and Enoch were so close. Enoch pleased God. Do you know that God can be pleased? That God experiences pleasure for his purposes, for his pleasure? We and all things are created. The idea of pleasing God might seem foreign to us. God in our mind is just this manager of sin. That's his job. Less sin. More obedience. It's a tough job, and that's what God does, but this idea of Enoch pleased God. And so God would come to Enoch's house, and they'd hang out, and they'd have fun, and they would talk. And they would interact together. And they did this for 300 years. And then God said, hey, why don't you come to my house? And all of a sudden, Enoch was gone because God wanted him to be where he was. Now, that's an amazing passage. 
especially for people who go around saying, well, it's impossible to please God. Well, Enoch did it, and then he was gone. And so Enoch has this relationship that is built on this pleasure, built on this understanding of God. He actually pleases God. And, and to have this understanding of God that God loves and wants to accept us and will do what is necessary so that we can be accepted, that's what the sacrifice that Abel brought represented. That's what Jesus represents. Remember the first week when we were talking about this, we talked about religion, keep trying to get to God, and then Jesus comes here, and he actually comes down to us. And that's what we see happening here, is that God is actually the one who is engaging in this relationship, that we can actually please God, that God has created us for his pleasure, that the idea of understanding of pleasure is God's idea. Have you ever wondered, like, does God really know what it's like to have a good piece of pizza? I mean, does he understand the joy of Petrillo's? It's the best pizza there is, sorry. It is. Don't shake your head, no. You can prove me wrong, that'd be a good competition. That God understands the pleasure of a good cup of coffee in the morning. That he understands it. That you think the, the God who created sex doesn't understand what pleasure is about? Do you think this is foreign to him? And having this understanding that Enoch walked with God, pleased God, and then he was not because God took him. And these are the examples that are given to us in Hebrews about what faith is, what it is to walk with God, what it is to please God. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And we think righteous, how do you get righteous? Righteous is in right standing. How do I get in right standing with God? Well, Cain said, if I do these things, then I'm in right standing with God. Abel said, there's nothing I can do but accept your ability to put me in the right standing. And that's what we need to do is we need to position ourselves into the place where we can accept the grace that God is giving. Now, it is an effort on our part to put ourselves there, but it's not about earning God's approval. It's not about giving Him enough stuff or doing the right things. It's about putting ourselves into the place where we please Him, where we lean into Him, where there is this relationship and this dynamic of love that sparks the actions that we do. And so it's not so much that you do the right thing, it's that you step into the place where the right things are positioned for your life. I've got to tell a Highlander story because I haven't talked about him. Our team was a good team. And we had a lot of heart. We went up there. We had about 20 guys. And then 
Mosaic gave us about another five guys, and one of the guys they gave us was blind. And my first thought was like, thanks. <laughs> Give us the blind guy, okay? And the weekend of competition. Now, I, I, I got over that, and I, I repented and said, that's just not nice, okay? We, we've got to help this guy out. Now, this guy, his name was Brian. Brian is an amazing guy. He decided, I want to go to Highlander. I want to be a part of this men's competition, even though I'm blind. And so with all that fear and and trepidation of going, he said, I'm going to go anyway. Our first event was dodgeball. (laughs) Blind guy. And he stepped in. And this wasn't just any ordinary dodgeball. This was 150 on 150 dodgeball. Okay, it should have been slaughterball, okay? And he lasted longer than I did, okay? <laughs> and I remember we were talking with Brian afterwards, and he was there in the dodgeball, and he's just standing there like, I don't know what's going on. And he's thinking in his mind, this was a bad idea. This was a bad idea. But later on, Brian competed in horseshoes. And what he did is Joe was on his team, and Joe would tap the stake so he knew where the horseshoes was, and he would go in there, and they went on to the next round. He actually was good. He was actually better than Joe. Right, Joe? (laughs) Sorry, Joe. Room for improvement. That's all. He also competed in soccer. And what they did is they wrapped the soccer ball in a plastic bag so he could hear it. And Brian was tenacious. He would just run for that ball. He made three blocks, and they tied one of the teams in soccer three to three. Remember Mark saying it was kind of scary. Because he would have the ball and Brian would be charging at him and he goes, I'm on your team, I'm on your team, just letting him know. (laughs) Can't see it because the guy's just running at him. The guy just put it all on the line and was an incredible example to us of putting your fear aside and stepping up to the occasion. And he did that incredibly. But one of the events that was kind of a highlight, at least to me, I know a lot of people, was the tug of war. Now, I was going to bring a picture of one of the guys. There was a guy named Cisco. Cisco's from Boston. Cisco's about 280-pound Samoan, 6 foot 15. Um, just, he's a huge guy. And he's the sweetest guy. He works in uh, prisons with gangs. I actually spent a week with Cisco at a, a weekend thing that we did. Um, called Breakthrough, and got to know him pretty well. He's a great, great guy, but Cisco's a big dude. And they had the poogle stick competition where you're supposed to knock the opponent senseless off of a raft into the pool, and Cisco took it, hands down. It was really kind of a pushing competition, but the guy just was able to dominate. He did it last year too. And so everyone's looking at Cisco's team for the tug of war because Cisco is, yeah, by all means the biggest guy, but their team had a bunch of big guys. Okay. And it was six on six. So they had Cisco and the team of Nephilim over here. (laughs) And then we had Jason Ariano, who did the announcements here, (laughs) just to give you an idea. We had Doug Sherman. Doug, no offense, but you're about my height as well. 
we had Cameron, Joe's cousin. We had Brian, the blind guy, who we typically know as Brian, the blind guy. Um, we had Randy and we had Gabe. So we had a couple of guys of decent size. But when you would look at the side, it was like the Nephilim against the hobbits. Okay? <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's just how it looked. And everyone was confident these guys are going to take it because they're big. They've got the strength. One of the guys on our tribe named Ian said, Hey, guys, I watched this thing probably on Discovery Channel or something on tug-of-war, that there's actually a strategy to tug-of-war. And what you do is recognize that your two small fingers are the fingers that grip. They're the ones that are actually able to hold on the tightest. So when you get the rope, make sure you've got the grip with those two fingers. Also, you don't want to have your arms out here and pull. Your arms can only pull so much. What you want to do is use your legs because your legs have the strength. So you take the rope, put it at your hip, and then you pull. And so what we're going to do is we're all going to get the rope on our hips and then we'll have a cadence. We'll say pull and pull and pull and then we're just going to pull. And so we said, okay, we'll do anything. (laughs) And so we lined up our little guys and the giants, the ropes there, and everyone's standing and, and just kind of expecting the outcome because everyone was talking about whoever has Cisco's team is going to win because Cisco's unreal. And so they say, go. And there's this quick jerk on the rope, and our guys hold fast. Hold fast, guys. It was a warrior kind of moment, right? And then we start the cadence. Pull and pull. And inch by inch, our guys pulled this team over the rope. The place went crazy. 300 guys were in disbelief. Not me, I had faith all along. And our guys are going crazy and they're like, oh my gosh. And they're just like, how'd that happen? Oh wow, that was crazy. And then we had another competition and again, against another team of guys. And all our guys, all the guys were bigger than us. Okay, just let's get that out of the way. Same thing happened, go, and our guys pull, and we won again. And everyone is just astounded. Hank, one of the pastors from Mosaic, came up and goes, you know, I wish I would have known this was going to happen. I would have recorded it, but no one thought you guys were going to (laughs) win. Thanks, Hank. We did lose the third round because the other team had a different strategy. My my point, because there was a point. If you will position yourself in the right way, it's not a matter of how strong you are, how good you are. It's a matter of positioning yourself where God's grace can be upon you. You will find the victory in your life that's necessary you will find that God is then ready to shower you with goodness and blessing. If we will align our lives into his grace and desire him more than our own actions or what we can do to make ourselves better, but just desire him, we will find that we've put ourselves in a place 
that God's mercy is able to flow upon us. Psalm 139 says, I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. The idea of commands and freedom don't usually go together in our minds, but the idea of God's command is to be in a place to receive His grace. Abel received God's blessing. Why? Because he was in the place that God had desired him to be in. He positioned himself in the right way so that God accepted his offering. You want your prayers to be answered? Be in the place where God's grace is upon your life. And and some of us, this is our starting point. You know, you believe in God. It's like, hey, I believe in God now. That's good, but that's not really a real big deal, okay? That's That's just the beginning. Faith begins when you lean into God and you put your trust in what God has done for you. And you start there in the relationship that takes you on and moves you forward. That's why the scriptures say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, it first starts with the delight. It first starts with God, I'm accepted by you and now I can trust you for what I need. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. See, it starts here in the relationship. God's the one who is righteous. God is the one who gives righteousness. God is the one who puts us in this place where we are positioned. So if we will delight in him, Jeremiah says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When, when God means more to us than the things that we do, when we get more out of just being with God like Enoch, just pleasing God, than we do trying to prove ourselves, we will find him. He will be there for us. See, I don't think we can make God do more for us than he wants to. But we can make God do less for us than he wants to. We can't make him do more, but we can make him do less by how we live our lives. And so here is God wanting to to bless and accept Cain, but Cain would not go that route. He wanted it to be about himself, and so God could not accept him. God wanted to, but he couldn't. God wants to accept you. Is your life positioned in a place of trust in him where he can? Where he is able to give to you? You know, the great thing about Hebrews 11 and starting with Abel and Enoch is I don't know if I can be an Elijah. I don't know if I can be a Daniel or a Moses. But I think I can be an Abel. I I think I can be in this place. I think I can be an Enoch and just walk with God. What did Enoch do? He walked with God. And then what did he do? And then he walked with God. And what happened? He pleased God. How? Because he walked with him. Maybe that's where we can start. 
Maybe that's where we can start so that we can walk with him. You see, we need to understand if it's not a love that we can earn that we have with God, but it's a love that we can't live without. And that's what we need to recognize. We might not be able to earn this love, but we can't live without it. We can walk with God because of what he's done, and we can please God if we will just delight in him. And so may our perspective of worship be about God and what he is and what he gives and not about what we have to do. May we keep the focus, God, and may we lean in to kiss him and to give him our devotion and our heart. Let's pray. Father, I think many times we go to you because we want to get the good stuff from you. Kind of like kids go to their father or their parents so that they can get the allowance or the candy or whatever it is. Sometimes we, people go to you because we want heaven. We, we go to you because we want an answer to prayer. We, we go to you because we want something for ourselves and Maybe what we need to do is go to you because you are what we want. Because you are really what we desire. Jesus, you said that the greatest of all commandments was to love the Lord, our God, with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. God, might we desire you more than the gifts, might we desire you more than life itself. Might you be the passion of our lives and may we, like Abel, trust in what you've done and receive the grace that we are accepted. May we be like Enoch who just walked with you every day. He would get up and you would be his focus. He would walk with you and you would be walking with him. And one day he wasn't because you said, hey, just get up here. Lord, may that be our relationship with you. One that is desiring not of the things or the benefits, but desiring of you. And may we understand what it is to worship the privilege that we have to lean in and kiss you. And may our hearts be filled as you accept that offering. For we do offer it in Jesus' name. Amen.